Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Turn with me in your Bible tonight to Ezekiel 22. We were looking at this passage this morning. Ezekiel 22, verse number 30. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. The Lord is speaking here. Hallelujah. And uh, he was talking about the sins of the people, the, both the leaders and the people of Israel. Verse 30 he said, that I sought for a man among them who would make up a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath. I have recompensed, recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. The Lord sought for a man among them. Notice he didn't seek among somebody else. He said, I sought for a man among them. It's important that we understand that we have authority uh, in our realm, but we have responsibility in our realm. He said, I sought for a man among them, not among somebody else. He sought for a man among his own people. Well, the Lord is seeking for someone today, collectively, uh, who will make up a wall, that is, build a, a wall of defense and stand in the gap, he said, before me on my behalf, or before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. Uh, I pointed out this morning that this is authority, this is intercession, this is prayer. Because he said, I'm seeking for a man who will stand before me, stand in the gap before me. In other words, not necessarily before the devil. Now we believe in that, don't misunderstand me. We believe in taking our authority when the enemy challenges us and tries to uh, bring something in our life that is inconsistent with our covenant, something that, that uh, is, is uh, contrary to what belongs to us, we can stand in the devil's face, we can stand in evil spirit's face, and we say, no, you don't. We don't pray to, the, to God to do something about the devil. He said, you do something about the devil. But this is talking about all of these kinds of statements are, are referring to you do something about the devil in your life, in your house, in your affairs. When it comes to other people or to collectively as a nation, uh, he, he said, I sought for a man who would stand in the gap before me. Not, not before the devil, before me. This is talking about intercessory prayer. This is talking about going to the Lord. And that's something I don't think we've really seen as we ought to. I know I haven't seen it like I ought to. That authority... Uh, that must be exercised by the church in these last days, a large part of this has to do with taking our place in prayer. T 
taking our place in prayer. Uh, the Lord said, let us reason together. Declare, set forth your cause. And there is a place that we have in, in, in prayer where we can operate and exercise our authority before God and he helps us in that. Many times, the Holy Spirit in prayer, when you're taking your place in prayer and making intercession about a situation, say about the nation or about some other circumstance that's uh, where the devil is having uh, uh, impact in people's lives and they're not necessarily asking for prayer. They may, maybe they're bound and they don't even know. Well, you know, their, their will comes into play. But when you take their place in prayer, when you go before the Lord on their behalf to stand in the gap for them, for them, sometimes then the Holy Spirit, as he wills. Now, why doesn't he always do this? I don't know. There's probably a lot of explanations, a lot of things I don't know. But uh, there are times, and I've had it happen to me, and I've, and I've read of others, where then the Holy Spirit brings revelation and he reveals something that in the spirit realm that needs to be taken authority over and by the revelation of the spirit and by the operation of the spirit, many times these revelation gifts come into play. When that happens, you are... You are uh, lifted into another place where you can take authority by the direction of the Spirit where you couldn't have without the direction of the Spirit. So this idea that we can just exercise authority over uh, even situations that we know are not right on behalf of other people, we, we, we can't just do that on our own. We need the operation of the Spirit. And that, that the operation of the Spirit comes as a result of prayer. That's how we, that's how we flow with the Spirit very often as we, we get into prayer and before the Lord and, and the anointing and he takes hold together with us. Amen? So he said, I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I, would, that I should not destroy it, but I found none. Now, the implication is, had he found someone, they would have been able to stand in the gap, make up a wall, and he would have been able to, uh, uh, his, his, his wrath would have been averted. We see that in the case, and we don't have to turn there, you're familiar with, over in Genesis chapter 18, when the Lord appeared to uh, uh, Abraham concerning Sodom. And he was going to destroy the city because of its wickedness. And Sodom said, well, now, wait a minute. If there's 50 righteous people there, would you destroy the, the city for the sake of the righteous? You know, far be it from you to destroy the righteous with the wicked. And the Lord said, okay, on your word, I'll not destroy it if I can find 50, 50 righteous there. Well, evidently, uh, Abraham knew the, the circumstances in Sodom. And he said, well, what about this? What if there's 40? And if you find 40 there, the Lord said, okay, I'll spare it for 40. He said, well, what about if there's 30? He obviously knew that there wasn't a lot of, uh, of very many righteous people in Sodom. 
And the Lord said, I'll not do it if I find 30. Then he said, 20. And then finally he said, now, Lord, don't, don't lose your patience with me. But one more time, what if there are 10 righteous people in the city of Sodom? Will you des- would you destroy the, the, the 10 righteous with the wicked? And the Lord said, if I find 10 righteous there, I'll not, de- I'll not destroy it. Well, this verse here uh, lends me to think if they'd have found one. If Abraham would have, would have bargained with God one more time and said, what if I find one? The indication, according to this verse, is that God would have, would have spared the city for the sake of the one. I mean, if he'd spare it for the sake of 10, he'd spare it for the sake of one. Amen. Uh, I guess Abraham thought that uh, he had uh, gone far enough. Maybe he didn't have the boldness or the courage to go any further. Remember, he's, you know, he's living under uh, another time. He, this was before the giving of the law. And, and I mean, this was a remarkable thing on, on, on Abraham's behalf that he would have the ability and the, and, the, and the relationship, the fellowship with God to be able to do this at all. But if for some reason, we'll never know why until we get to heaven, he stopped at 10. Well, uh, unfortunately, there, there were not 10 righteous people in the city and judgment came. But uh, we can stand in the gap and it, it comes about by prayer. Notice it was in prayer. The, Abraham was standing in the gap before him. For, for on behalf of the land, amen? Now go with me, I mentioned this, I just want to bring some things together tonight. Go with me over to Daniel chapter 9, and we've looked at this in the last few months, more than we've ever looked at it in, in, in all the years, I guess, that we've been uh, together as a church, uh, because the Lord's trying to say something to us here. In uh, Daniel chapter 9, if you found Daniel... Right after Ezekiel, Daniel chapter 9. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, of the lineage of the Medes, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, understood by the books the number of the years specified by the word of the Lord through Jeremiah the prophet that he would accomplish 70 years in the desolation of Jerusalem. Now, according to uh, biblical scholars that study this a lot more depth in, in depth than I have. This was a, this happened approximately sixty seven years into the cap. Well, they they don't say approximately. They say because of the of the other uh, uh, history about the rule of Darius that this actually happened in the sixty seventh year. It had been sixty seven years since uh, the uh, Israelites, the children of Israel, uh, Judea, Jerusalem, and so forth, were taken captive. And so 67 years had passed and he was reading in uh, the prophet of Jeremiah and that, uh, that 70 years, that Jerusalem would be desolate for 70 years. Well, uh, three years. Three years, you know, is, is deliverance time. But he looked around, there was, no, there was no, not even a hint of deliverance in the land. You know, God has a plan, but somebody has to, has to, to set their faith in, in, in with it and, uh, and, and join themselves with it and pray that I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications. Remember, supplications is earnest prayer. With fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. Now, what is fasting, sackcloth, and ashes? Well, we know what fasting is. That's going without food. But in sackcloth and ashes, that is a, a prescription in the Old Testament for humbling oneself before the Lord. 
They would humble themselves before the Lord and, and dress in sackcloth and put ash on their face as a sign of their, of their humility before the Lord. So he humbled himself and he prayed to the Lord and made confessions, verse 4, and then, verse, uh, and then he said, O God, O Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant and mercy with those who love him uh, and with those who keep his commandments, we have sinned and committed iniquity. We have done wickedly and rebelled, rebelled even by departing from your precepts and your judgments. Neither have we heeded your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings and our princes, to our fathers and all the people of the land. O Lord, righteousness belongs to you, but to us shame of face as it is this day. That's what the sackcloth and ashes represented, represented this shame of face. It was an act of humility. As it is this day to the men of Judah, to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and all Israel, those near and those far off in the country, in all the countries to which you have driven them, because of the unfaithfulness which they have committed against you. O Lord, to us belongs shame of face, to our kings, our princes, our fathers, because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belongs mercy and forgiveness, though he, we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God to walk in his laws, which he set before us by his servants, the prophets. And so he goes on and, and, and enumerates again and again and uh, talks about, uh, Israel's sin both uh, before they went into captivity. They went into captivity because of their sin. Because they had forsaken the way of the Lord, because they had turned their back on God, uh, judgment fell. And, uh, and so he's talking about what had gone before and then the condition they were still in. Uh, let's go down. Let's see what verse I want to go to. Yeah, verse 20, now while I was speaking and praying and confessing my sins and the sins of my people Israel and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, what was he doing? He was standing in the gap. It's exactly what he was doing. He was standing in the gap before the Lord on behalf of the land, behalf of the people. And... Uh, it says that, that while he was doing this, while I was speaking in prayer, verse 21, the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, reached me about the time of the evening, evening offering, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplication, the commandment went out, and I have come to tell you, for you are greatly beloved. Therefore, consider the matter and understand the vision. Now, in verses 24 through uh, verse 27 is the powerful, uh, 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 hugely impacting, one of the greatest prophecies of the Old Testament because in these next verses, God foretold the entire future history of Israel. And as far as a time frame, now he, he, there were other revelations that were given concerning different kingdoms that would rise and fall and so forth. But as far as Israel, uh, the history of Israel up until the time of the end of the tribulation was foretold. And... Uh, he talked about 70 weeks, and those are 70 weeks. Each week consisted of seven years, 490 years. Well, at the, in this prophecy, he said at the end of the 69th week that the Messiah would be cut off. 
And if you do the math from the time that the decree that he, re- that he refers to here, that from the giving of a certain decree, that uh, there would be 70 weeks, 62, and then 7, 69, and then the last week, that 69th week was exactly when Jesus was crucified on the cross, at the end of that 69th week. I mean, it's the, one of the most amazing, most precise uh, 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 prophecies in the Old Testament. And uh, that 70th week is still awaiting It's still uh, uh, yet to be fulfilled because in between the 69th and the 70th week we have the church age which is something that was not revealed in the Old Testament. And uh, there are places in in the Old Testament where there's a place for it. It's almost like there's a gap or, or a parenthesis and, and you can see it here because it goes up through 69 weeks and the Messiah is cut off and then it talks about a time later when the prince who would come later uh, that the 70th week would begin. So even though he doesn't reveal the church, he gives a place for the church. There's like a, there's like a parenthesis that's blank. This is not the only place we find this in the Old Testament. There's several places we find it. And of course, not having, it, it was a mystery. Paul said that the church age was a mystery that was hidden. And it was hidden for the time of to, for it to be revealed when the time was right for the church age to begin. And after it began, his, through his holy apostles and prophets, the revelation of the mystery came about the vision. Well, you can't, you can't blame the Old Testament uh, people for not understanding about the church age because it was hidden from them. All they had was these little gaps, but they didn't recognize them as gaps. They didn't see that. They had no reason to see that. Well, the church age has intervened between the 69th and the 70th week. We believe the church age is nearly over. And Jesus is about to come and catch away the, the church. And when that happens, the uh, world will go into uh, a time of tribulation and God will again be dealing with the nation of Israel and that 70th week will unfold. At the end of that, Jesus will return at what we call the second coming of Christ and then uh, he will usher in the millennial reign for a thousand years. That's the age which is immediately is to come. Now, we see that Daniel confessed his sins and the sins of his people. Now, when I said this morning that Daniel was a righteous man, he wasn't a wicked man, he wasn't a sinful man, uh, it was Darius, you know, who, who threw him into the den of lions. And so he was a man who, who had integrity, who stood for the testimony of God, didn't bow, but nobody's perfect. I said, nobody's perfect. Amen. Uh, and so he confessed his own sin, but he confessed the sins of, of the people. And we talked about that this morning. Go over with me to now back to Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles, the seventh chapter, Second Chronicles chapter seven. You hear this verse of scripture very often today uh, as it applies to prayer and the church people praying and so forth. This was at the dedication of Solomon's temple. The Lord is speaking. Verse 12 says, The Lord appeared to Solomon by night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. Now notice verse 13 and 14. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people. Well, that's judgment, isn't it? Amen. That ha- that he said this would happen as a result of, of, of uh, the nation's sin, of their backsliding, of turning against him. These things would happen. 
He said, when this happens, if my people, verse 14, who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. We have as what, what I, I refer to today the remnant church. I believe that, that you and I are a part of this remnant church. That doesn't make us special in, in the sense that, that uh, we've done anything special. Uh, but there, there is a backslidden church. There is a church today that is, is truly the church, but they're so backslidden. They've, they've so compromised themselves with this world. <clears throat> like I was talking about this morning. <clears throat> I've, heard, I've heard pastors say this. I've heard it personally. I've heard it with my own ears. And, and, and this is not an obscure uh, sentiment. This is something that, that reflects a widespread movement in the body of Christ, a widespread attitude among church leaders today. They've said, well, this is what the world wants. This, we've, we've changed our services. And uh, this one particular pastor says he has his services 55 minutes long. He said, because people in the world, you know, unsaved people, unchurched people, they don't want to go to church longer than an hour. He said, so our services are 55 minutes long. And we have, and I don't, I don't remember the exact breakdown, but he said, we, this is an approximation because I don't remember the exact number, but it was something like this. We, he said, I have a 23-minute sermon. We have 18 minutes of praise and worship. We have so many minutes of media presentation. We have so many minutes of this and that, and it, and it totals eight, uh, 55 minutes, and it's precise I mean, at it, it, it so many minutes, the praise and worship is over. And this particular pastor has a large church. He's a, he's a Rhema pastor. He has a large church. He has two services a day. He did at that time. They get 55 minutes. They get one crowd out. They get another crowd in. And he said, you know, it, we, we keep it right to that exact moment. They have praise and worship, if you want to call it that. They have a praise and worship team that has rehearsed that, that, that praise and worship segment that 18 or 20 minutes however long it is they have practiced that they've got it down to that many minutes and they perform it perfectly to the minute this song so many verses so many times we repeat the course we go to the next song etc and it's so many minutes precisely and they do it the first service the second service they come out and it's exactly the same praise and worship service. Exactly. It's a performance. Now, how does that give the Holy Spirit room to move? It doesn't. Of course it doesn't. But the reason is, he said, is people, he said, people want to, here was his explanation. He said, studies have been taken, uh, surveys and, and so forth, and studies have shown that people don't want to be surprised when they come to church. They want to know exactly what's going to happen. They don't like surprises. And so they, they want to know that there's so much praise and worship that a sermon is only going to last so many minutes and this is going to take place and that's going to take place. And that comforts them. They, they, they're, they're, they will come to church because they like knowing exactly what's going to happen. They don't want to be uh, surprised by anything. And so this is what we do. You know, well, that's, 
And, and then the message is geared to not offend. The message is geared to not be uh, offensive or controversial, controversial or to uh, make anybody feel bad about themselves or challenge them in any way that would, that would smite their conscience. Uh, it, it's a feel-good message. It's a message on how to improve yourself. And this is, this is a rhema church. And like I said, this is not happening in one place. This is widespread. Uh, we do not pray for the sick because people, people don't like that. The head, the head, just about three or four years ago, the head of RMAI, just under the Hagans, a man you know, that's, that you wouldn't know his name, just under the Hagans, the head of RMAI told a pastor friend of mine, face to face and this pastor told me he said people don't want to hear about healing he said it offends people so you should not pray for the sick in a Sunday morning have, a, have another service you know later in the week where you pray for the sick he said people, do, people are afraid of gifts of the spirit he said it will run people away sinners are not they don't want that so don't have any gifts of the spirit on Sunday morning, don't pray for the sick, don't talk about, don't even teach on the Holy Spirit, and don't teach on healing. Now this is the head of RMAI just a few short years ago said this to a pastor friend of mine. My God. <laughs> and, and then wonder why the church is in the, is in the mess that it's in today. And, and that's what I'm talking about when this morning I said people are, are ordering their services and, and they're letting the world dictate how we have church. Well, the, that, that's, a, that's a backslidden uh, church. Now, you don't know the church I'm talking about, so, so you don't know who I'm talking about. But if that's a backslidden church. That's a backslidden, backslidden uh, format. And... Uh, because of that, the church, the church needs to repent. Now, what I started to say, and, and, and I got off on that to, to, to explain, we aren't that way. And there, and there are a lot of churches, excuse me, like ours, we're not perfect, but we want the Spirit's will. We want the full truth to be preached, and to the best of our ability, that's what we do. We don't know everything, but what we know, we fully preach. Not ashamed, we don't hold back. Uh, we're, we're not ashamed of the Holy Spirit. One, one thing I do, I could on Sunday mornings, when I give the invitation on Sunday mornings, number one, I could skip the baptism of the Holy Spirit because there's a lot of visitors who will come to our church and, and they come and they come out of backgrounds that they've been told all their life that speaking with other tongues is, is wildfire, it's scary, it's lunacy. They've been taught, that's, you do realize, of course, that's a common uh, uh, understanding that people outside of Pentecostal churches, not everybody, but a lot of fundamentalists in particular, that's what they've been taught, that tongues have passed away, it's not for today, and anytime you, you find tongues, you need to run because you never know what's going to happen. Just wildness. Well, I know that, and it would be very convenient or very easy if I didn't have a conscience, you know, to just, to just bypass the, the, the gifts of the Holy Spirit are to bypass talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, but 
I can't do that. And I know that there's a possibility there's going to be somebody sitting in our service that came in that we would like to have an opportunity to minister to and I'm going to run them off because there's some people that their hearts are not prepared and they're going to leave if they hear that. I know that, but I can't compromise it. And not only do I talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, but just as a discipline to myself, I always talk about, and that involves speaking with other tongues. Well, we, we are, I consider us in this church part of the remnant church. There are a lot of churches like us, but there are a lot of churches that have forsaken this. Well, the remnant church is the church that has to pray. Like I said, our nation is in serious trouble and, and the compromised, backslidden, worldly church, they're not in a place to make any difference. It, it falls upon us to do that. Amen. And this involves praying for ourselves, making, repenting for any error or any shortcomings we have in our lives, in our own uh, uh, selves, but also in, in praying for the sins, bringing the sins of the church and even of the nation before God and asking for forgiveness. Well, will God honor that? Don't misunderstand me. You cannot get forgiveness for someone in the sense that then they're okay. That's not what I mean. Every person is responsible for themselves. And if someone is in sin, they have to repent before they can receive. And I know that forgiveness has already been provided. The debt has already been paid. The sacrifice has been offered. The blood has been shed. Sin has been put away. But an individual has to appropriate that for themselves by faith. Well, you're not going to do that until you repent. Amen. Somebody's not going to receive forgiveness unless they believe they need it and acknowledge that they need it. So, so people do have to repent and receive from themselves. So what I'm saying does not, I'm not saying that we alleviate that or set that aside, but we do present their need before the Lord in prayer. And what that does is that gives God the opportunity. Remember, he does nothing in the world unless someone asks him. And, and we begin to pray for people and we begin to allow the Holy Spirit to flow through us. And like I've said in recent times talking about revival praying, then we pick up the intercession of Jesus because ultimately Jesus has the right to stand in, in the gap. The Bible says he is the one mediator between God and men, the man Christ. And it's not the man Edwin Anderson, it's the man Christ Jesus. He is the only one. And he has that place because of his sacrifice, because what he did, he shed his blood for everybody, he forgave everybody's sins. So he stands in that place. And when we begin to pray and call out uh, other people in prayer and begin to repent on their behalf, it's not so much that... that uh, they don't have anything to do, but it puts them in a place where God's mercy can reach them. You understand that? Amen. Uh, now, there, there's, there's something else that, that is associated with this that's on my heart. This is kind of an abrupt change, but it's all right. In, in the day in which we live, our leaders, when I talk about leaders, I'm talking about the leaders of the church. Pastors are leaders of their congregations. 
But then there are other fivefold ministries that God has set in the church that are more, uh, their leadership is more general, more overall. Uh, I, I'm a pastor, but I, I'm the pastor of this congregation. I'm not the pastor of the congregation down the street. Uh, and so I don't have, I don't have any, uh, any authority there. There are other ministers in the body of Christ. There are other ministry offices that are broader than the pastoral office and they have, a, they, they have a leadership capacity in the church at large. You see in the Bible, the apostles and prophets in particular stood in that place. And, and we see that in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. The, uh, the prophets in particular in the Old Testament, the New Testament's apostles and prophets. Uh, our leaders need boldness and courage to speak out what God says. Our leaders, our apostles and our prophets need the boldness and the courage to say what God says. And, and that, that requires boldness. And it requires courage because sometimes, and particularly in, in the days in which we live, God's got some things to say that are not going to be very polite. And it's very, it's just, you can't, you can't blame somebody in the, in the natural for being hesitant to say some things that the Lord says because people, people uh, get uh, very offended and other things can happen. Uh, and opposition, there's, I tell you what, people that stand in, in, in these offices, particularly as apostle and prophet, there is tremendous opposition sometimes to their ministries, particularly if their ministry, God, has, God raises up certain apostles and certain prophets and gives them national, sometimes international ministries, not all, they're, they're, just like every other ministry gift, there are, there are different degrees of apostles and prophets, different, different levels of anointing and different uh, uh, levels of, of their office. And God raises up sometimes men and women who, and he gives them a national voice or an international voice. And uh, sometimes the Lord will speak through them to the church body and uh, it's not always easy to say what the Lord says. But in these last days, we've got to have that. We've got to have what the Spirit is saying. It has to be delivered no matter what the cost. Now, there is, there is something that enters into this, and that is the gift of special faith. Years ago, when I was first studying the gifts of the Spirit, for a long time, I never could understand what the gift of faith was. In, in the Amplified Bible, you know, we're talking about the nine gifts of the Spirit. One of them is the gift of faith. The Amplified Bible, I think, makes it clear, though it's not in the original text. It's, a, it's an added word, but I think it helps special faith, the gift of special faith. I would read the definitions of special faith and scratch my head and say, you know, that sounds like just faith to me. The, the definition, I haven't looked at it recently, but, but from memory, the definition of special faith goes something like this. It, it's, it's an operation of the spirit whereby the person so endowed is, is able to uh, uh, maintain an unwavering faith in God that whatever God says will come to pass. And I think, that just sounds like Bible faith to me. I do that every day. I take an unwavering faith that what God has said is true, and that's ordinary faith. 
But uh, I, I discovered when, when I've had a few times when the gift of faith has operated in my life and I realized the difference is all faith is the same. Faith is faith. Bible faith, there are different other kinds of natural faith, but they're not really faith. Bible faith, all Bible faith is the same. The difference in ordinary faith and the gift of special faith is when the gift of special faith is in operation, the Holy Spirit uh, moves upon a person and basically the Holy Spirit uses that person to operate the faith of God. If I'm, if I'm exercising faith on my own, Bible faith, that's, that's an operation of me. It's, my, it's a spiritual force. It's something that I do. Faith comes into my heart by, by uh, hearing the word of God, acting on the word of God, and my acting on it and standing steadfast is me operating the God kind of faith. But there are times when the Holy Spirit moves and the Holy Spirit comes upon a person and and uses them, and they, they're still involved in it, but it's, it's, it's the Holy Spirit using them, and the Spirit of God is using them himself to operate the faith of God. Well, that's just going to be the same kind of faith, but it's going to be stronger. It's going to be on a higher level. It's going gonna, it's gonna to produce more. And so the gift of special faith, uh, we can see examples of it where, you know, for instance, we've talked about Daniel in the lion's den. You know, to, to lay down in a den of hungry lions, these lions were ravenous. They, they were hungry. They hadn't eaten. He is fresh meat. He's thrown into a den of hungry lions. And he just lays down and goes to sleep. That's not ordinary faith. Now, you might think, you go, oh, I'd do the same thing. I don't believe you would. I don't care how much faith you have. At the, very, at the very least, you'd be in the corner. I rebuke you, I rebuke you, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Get away from me. The truth is, with ordinary faith, you'd probably be eaten. Because your fear would be so great it, it, you, you wouldn't be able, I don't think anybody with ordinary faith would be able to survive in a situation like Daniel laid down. I guess he took one of the lions and made a pillow out of him. I don't know, you know, just. And slept in a den of hungry lions. That's special faith. When the special faith is in operation, that's an operation of the spirit where the spirit of God just moves upon a person and the idea of not prevailing just vanishes, just vanishes. That's one operation of the gift of faith. The gift of faith is also involved in casting out devils and special faith has been described this way. There are two miraculous gifts of the Spirit. Special faith and the working of miracles. The working of miracles is a gift of the Spirit that actively works a miracle. Walking on the water is somebody doing something miraculous. Turning water into wine, that is, a, that is the working of miracles. It, it involves some action, some doing. Special faith produces miracles, but it's more passive than it is active. It just receives a miracle. Daniel didn't do anything. He didn't wrestle the lions. You know, he just went to sleep, let God do it. So it, it produced a miracle, but it produces it passively. 
Uh, special faith is, and I'm getting, I'm said all that to get to this. Special faith is also used in blessing and cursing. When God gave Abraham his blessing, and we know that the blessing that God pronounced on Abraham had, had concerned his seed. And we know from the New Testament that God was actually using Abraham and looking down through him and his lineage all the way to Christ, who was born of the seed of Abraham, direct descendant of Abraham. And the promise that God made to Abraham, Abraham enjoyed those promises to a degree, but really their ultimate fulfillment is in Christ. He is the seed of Abraham. And because we are in Christ, Galatians says, then are we Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. But when Abraham was given this blessing, that was a divine pronouncement. It was a conferral of blessing from God to Abraham. Abraham, in turn, blessed Isaac. When he was old, he put his hands on Isaac and blessed him. And he conferred that blessing that he received onto his son. Isaac, in turn, blessed Jacob. Remember Esau tried to, to, uh, uh, to, or Esau was the firstborn, and Esau was the one who was in line for that blessing. And Jacob was a usurper. Jacob uh, tricked his brother and went in before Isaac, and Isaac confirmed, conform, con, con, conferred the blessing upon, con, upon, upon Jacob. And when he realized what he had done, Uh, Esau's crying out. I want the blessing. I want the blessing. I'm supposed to be the... But Hebrews said he sold his birthright for a morsel of food. And after, when he wanted it, he said there was no place of repentance, though he sought it with tears. He wasn't seeking repentance with tears. He was seeking that blessing. If he had truly repented, that would have been a different thing. He didn't truly repent with tears. With tears, he he, he sought the blessing. And no place of repentance was found in him. But anyway, when when Isaac realized that he had conferred the blessing of Abraham on his second born instead of his, or or the second uh, child, the second born, you know, they were twins, but, but Esau came out first. When he realized that he had conferred that blessing on Jacob, he was upset about it because he intended it to go to Esau. But he said, the Lord has spoken and it can't be taken back. Why is that? Why, why didn't he just say, whoops, you know what? Scratch all that. Scratch Jacob, you're just a liar. Get out of here. None of that, nada, nada. That doesn't, that doesn't count. Esau, you come in here, I'm gonna bless you. He couldn't do that because he conferred that blessing by the Spirit. The gift of faith is used in, conf- in conferring and imparting divine blessing and when it's imparted, it's gonna happen. It's going to happen. It, sometimes these things take generations to be fulfilled. There's one thing about the gift of special, special faith is sometimes it operates over a, 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 a period of time. A time span is involved. Not always, but a lot of times it is. And, uh, and so blessings are conferred supernaturally. This, is not just, this wasn't just Jacob wanting to bless his son. Sometimes fathers today will do that. They'll lay hands on their children, you know, and, and, and confer a blessing on them. I believe in that. That's wonderful. But that's, that's not the same thing. That's, that's you conferring a blessing with your own faith. But when, the, when special faith is concerned, it's a divine 
impartation. Do you, do you understand what I'm talking about? Well, by the same token, now we're getting to what I want to talk about. By the same, same token, it's good to understand all this because it puts it in perspective. By the same token, special faith is, in, is in, involved in conferring judgment, in pronouncing divine judgment. And it's not something that is, is by the flesh or by the arm of the flesh or by the natural mind. It's something that comes by the Spirit of God. Now, there's some examples of this in the New Testament. Go over to Acts. Can anybody take a guess? The first one? Huh? Ananias and Sapphira. What chapter is that? Chapter 5. Chapter 5. A certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. He kept part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias. Now, he had to have gotten this by revelation. Peter couldn't have known this except by revelation or by inspiration. The Holy Spirit just blurted out of his mouth without him thinking about it. Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit Keep part of the price of the land for yourself. While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control or your own authority? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God. The, the, the sin was in the deception. Peter said, you didn't have to give any of this. But the sin was in the lie. And you have not lied to men but to God. Then Ananias, hearing these things, fell down and breathed his last. Judgment fell in. Ooh, I don't believe in judgment in the church. We're under grace. Well, evidently that grace hadn't kicked in yet. (laughs) He fell down and breathed his last. So great fear came upon all those who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in not knowing what had happened and Peter asked her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. We talk about wanting all of the operations of the Spirit in the church today. Before Jesus comes back, we want the Holy Spirit, everything they had. Really, do we? Amen. God's been gracious with us. Amen. But remember, before Jesus returns, there will be a what? A restoration of all things. Amen. Go, this, this, I, this happened by the, by the gift of faith. Peter was declaring some things and saying some things and it pronounced judgment on this man and this woman. Go over to the ninth chapter of the book of Acts. Acts chapter 9. <clears throat> and let's look at verse 10. Now there was a certain disciple in Damascus named Ananias. And to him the Lord said in the vision, Ananias. And he said, here am I. And the Lord said to him, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one named Saul, 
of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. There's several different kinds of revelation. Word of knowledge and, and word of wisdom is involved in this, in this that the Lord gave him. And in a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hand on him so that he might receive his sight. Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard many things uh, about this man, how much harm he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And there he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call on your name. The Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine, to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I must show him how many things he must suffer for my sake. And Ananias went his way and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you came has sent me that you might receive your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he received his sight at once, and he arose and was baptized." This was an operation of the gift of faith to impart blessing. You say, Dan, would, would, would uh, Saul have received this gift without Ananias? Evidently not, because he sent him. I mean, the Lord spoke to Ananias in a very dramatic way. Gave him very dramatic, very special, very specific revelation about who, what, where, how, what was going to happen in Saul's life, the future of his life. So God moved very miraculously or very supernaturally and, and Ananias went in and put his hands on Saul and said, receive your sight. He conferred that by the gift of faith. What if he hadn't obeyed? Oh, well, I sent Ananias, but he was busy, so I'll just go ahead and give Saul the Holy Ghost anyway. Well, he would, I, I'm, I'm supposing he would have had to have sent somebody else because it had to be spoken. I don't know why. It, it doesn't always. God just does things different sometimes. He does different things different ways. Some things have to be spoken. You know, in ordinary faith, the kind of faith that we practice every day, speaking is an important part of it. Jesus said, whoever shall say to this mountain, be removed and be cast into the sea. Shall not doubt, but believe those things which he says will be done. He will have whatever he says. So saying is important in the operation of faith. Saying is important in the, in the gift of faith when blessing or cursing is conferred. The saying of it is important. If somebody is instructed to confer blessing and they won't do it, they won't say it, it'll stop what God's trying to do. If someone, if judgment is going to fall and God sends someone to say it and they won't say it, then God's going to have to, it'll, it'll hinder what God wants to do and, and he'll have to raise up somebody else. Go over to the 13th chapter of Acts. Acts chapter 13. Now when they, this is Saul and Barnabas, had gone through the island to Paphos, they found a certain sorcerer, a false prophet, a Jew whose, whose name was Bar-Jesus, who was with the proconsul, Sergius Paulus, an intelligent man. This man called for Barnabas and Saul, now notice, and sought to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for so his name is translated, withstood Paul and Barnabas, seeking to turn the proconsul away from the faith. Evidently, this sorcerer had been had been practicing his sorceries on 
the proconsul and was probably in some degree uh, controlling his life and he didn't want to lose that. Then Saul, who is also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked intently at him. Now this is an operation of the Spirit. And said, O full of all deceit and all fraud, you son of the devil, you enemy of all righteousness, will you not cease perverting the straight ways of the Lord? And now indeed the hand of the Lord is upon you and you shall be blind, not seeing the sun for a time. That was, that was an operation of the gift of special faith. I remember when I was a young man, uh, when I had first gotten back in the fellowship of the Lord and been filled with the Holy Spirit in the church we were in, uh, we, we uh, us, us young men, we would go down to the city park and pass out tracts in downtown Jacksonville, you know, and witness to people because people were just, back then, people still shopped, you know, downtown and there were a lot of people mingling around and we would go down and we would pass out tracts and we would witness to people and there was a group of, of, of infidels that hung out at the park and they would, they would come over to us and try to interrupt what we were doing. We would be, I'd be sharing the gospel with somebody and it was a gang of these guys. They would come over and get between me and that person and it happened to the other brothers who went with us and get between me and that person and say, no, 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 you don't need to believe this guy. He's all wrong. Don't listen to him, blah, blah, blah. It was really annoying. And, and, I, and I read this scripture you know, from Acts chapter 13. And I thought, God, if you just let me pronounce blindness on them, I'll just put a stop to this. I'll just put a curse on them and I'll send them on their way and everybody will know that, that God is in control. But you know, that anointing never came on me. This is not something you can do on your own. You can, you can, you can curse somebody and you can say, ah, oh, the hand of the Lord's upon you and you'll not see the sun for a sin. You can say that all day long, but if, if it's not the, the voice of the Spirit of God speaking through you, they're just gonna laugh at you. Fortunately, I, 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 I didn't know a lot, but fortunately I knew better than to try it. But I prayed about it. And, and I wanted it to happen, but it never happened. <laughs> but see, in this case, the Spirit of God came upon uh, Paul and he pronounced a curse by the gift of special faith. Boom, it happened. What if he hadn't said it? What if he had said, eh, he sensed this he, and he knew that's what the Spirit of God was saying, but you know, he didn't want to, you know, he didn't want to be prosecuted. He didn't want any legal liability. Maybe this guy's got a good lawyer, you know, and if I say this and he turns up, you know, blind, then they're going to prosecute me. And we live, in a, we live in a day where, you know, these are considerations you have. What's going to happen to me if I jump out and just say what the Lord said? And, and today, everything's recorded. You're in a church service and you speak by the Spirit. It's on, it's on, it's on, it's digitally recorded. I started saying it's on tape. It's on digital uh, uh, hard drive somewhere and it can come back to, to, uh, to haunt you if you get it wrong. Well, there are a lot of people today that I'm concerned that are hesitant to say what the Spirit of God's really saying because of all kinds of, of self-doubt and whatever. Even though it's the gift of special faith, I've operated in the, in the gift of special faith a few times and I know this, even though it's the Spirit of God operating through, I still have to cooperate with it. Yeah. 
And I could shut it down. What we need today is we need to pray that our leaders will have the boldness and the courage to speak by the Spirit. When I say leaders, I'm talking about nationally. You know, Brother Hagin, when, when he was, uh, you know, in his earlier years during the, the voice of healing, uh, he was in a, a, a group of, with a group of ministers. They were praying. And the Spirit of God spoke through him concerning William Branham. Now, William Branham was a prophet. Brother Hagin was a prophet, but he wasn't nearly as known as William Branham. He wasn't the same stature. William Branham was a prophet, and he was the, the, the most highly regarded prophet in the whole Word of Faith movement. I've seen some videos of William Branham. They, they you know, uh, made some, some uh, uh, reel-to-reel tapes, you know, some videotapes of him, and they still exist, and you can find them. And sometimes, I mean, he, he would call people out, and his accuracy in the word of knowledge, he ministered healing to people, but he would tell them exactly what was wrong with them. He would tell them their, their uh, 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 driver's license number. He would say, now you've got a sister and she lives in Detroit and, and thus and so. And he would tell people all about their lives right in front of the whole thousands of people. Well, that'll get people's attention. And, and then he would minister healing to people and, and great miracles took place. But he had, some, he had some, uh, some areas in his character. He had some weaknesses. And he began to uh, manipulate his gift a little bit, and then more and more and more. Well, one time, Brother Hagin was, was with a group of people, and they were praying, and the Spirit of God, he began to prophesy, and he said, the man who stands at the forefront of, of the healing ministry in the office of, of the prophet, of course, everybody knew who that was. He didn't call him by name, but he knew who it was, said, he will make a wrong turn, and uh, it will cost him his life, he will die. His, his, his uh, uh, reward will go ahead you know, and precede him to heaven, but he's going he's gonna to die. And he said, before a certain time, he said before 19, I don't remember what it was, 68 or something, before the year is over, he'll be gone. And he spoke it out. And Gordon Lindsay was, pr- was present. He was another minister in the, in the Voice of Healing and back. Those a very prolific writer. And, and he wrote it down, and they took that prophecy and put it in a safe. Gordon Lindsay's house. It said it made him, it scared him so much that Brother Hagin would, would actually say such a thing. And so they recorded it, and they put it in Gordon Lindsay's safe. And Brother Hagin was in a convention in December of the next year and with the year that was spoken of, and uh, they called the ministers to come forward because this man had been at a terrible traffic accident, and they announced it at this big, during the holidays between Thanksgiving and Christmas, they'd have this big voice of healing convention because none of them could get any place to preach. It was December. Nobody would have them in, so they'd have a big voice of healing convention. They'd all get together, you know, and preach to one another and share, you know, what God was doing and so forth. And uh, they, they announced this at this meeting one night and said that, you know, William Branham, he's been in a terrible traffic accident. They don't believe he's going to live. All, they want all the ministers in the crowd to come to front and to pray. And Brother Hagin had forgotten what the Lord had said. And he got up and he started down the aisle. It was a big, you know, big uh, 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 venue. And he got about halfway to the front and he remembered. The Lord said, don't go down there. Don't pray for him. Remember what, what you said. And he turned around and went back to his seat. And he didn't go up there and pray. And the man died at the end of December. 
This was toward the end of the month. And he was dead before the year was over. Well, you know, uh, when things are spoken by the Spirit, it's serious. I remember just a few years ago, Randall Greer was in a meeting. He was in an RMAI meeting, uh, an RMAI uh, regional retreat, all RMAI ministers from this particular region. And he was one of the speakers. And he didn't know. He came in like a day or so after the meeting had started. Now, what I'm about to tell you, he didn't know. There was someone that at this time, this is a number of years ago, there was uh, three ministers. There was one that had brought this error to the, from, from overseas to America, and it was that, that uh, flaky, uh, false manifestation of the Holy Spirit of oil and, and uh, I think it just oil. It might have been gold. I don't remember. But it was one of those manifestations where people had, you know, the stigmata. You remember? Anybody know any about that? You know anything about it? There were, there were people in the charismatic movement back in the, in the uh, I don't remember, in the 80s, I guess. I don't remember when this was, but a few years ago. And they would preach and oil would appear in their hands. Literal oil would begin to flow out of the palms of their hands. And they said it was a manifestation of the Holy Ghost. They'd minister to be, but it wasn't the Spirit. There was another, and I don't know which one of these it was. There was another uh, 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 charade that, that made its way through the charismatic world, and it was gold dust. People would say in their meetings that gold dust would fall, and people would go to the meetings, and they, they'd look on their shoulders, and there was this gold dust, and it would be in their hair, and, and this, this is just a manifestation of God's power. Well, it was the devil. It wasn't the Holy Ghost. It was a false sign. Well, unbeknownst to Brother Greer, He had been invited to speak and he didn't get there at the beginning of this meeting. Well, he didn't know, but this it was either the oil or the or the gold what all of the Rhema guys were excited about. They were all talking about it. it you know, did you heard about this? The the gold and they were they were just all excited about ooh, God's really moving. Brother so and so had it in his church. I heard about another pastor. They were all excited about it. Well, Randy Greer didn't know anything about it. He got up and begins to minister and he called that out. And he said, the person that stands at the forefront of this, whether it was gold or, or oil, he said, they're going to drop down dead. And then he said, there's two other people and, and named them, said they're going to drop down dead. He said, it was obvious that people didn't like what he said. The anointing, I mean, that people just put a brakes on him just like this. He didn't know what had happened. He didn't know that they were all in on it. All those Rhema guys had bought into this and they, they believed it was God. He stood up and said, it's not of God and the person that brought that to America is going to drop dead and there's two other ministers are going to drop dead because they won't repent. God's going to give them a place to repent but if they don't repent, they're going to drop dead. He said, it was one of the most brutal times in the ministry. He said, those guys jumped on him after the service. You don't know what you're talking about. You don't understand the move of the Spirit. And they just, he was completely unprepared. He didn't know he had stepped into this. Well, thank God he spoke. Well, he contacted Brother Hagen about it. And Brother Hagen said, if you want me to, and he did, he said, I'll write a letter and I'll sign it in my, under my own name where I'm endorsing what you said. Well, did those people die? Every one of them did. Shortly after that, the person that had brought this, they were from another country, had brought this over. They dropped dead. 
And then a period of time went on and the other two people died. Well, you know, uh, we, won't give, we won't give Brother Greer too much credit because he didn't know that everybody was, you know, aligned with this. But I'd like to believe he would have said it anyway had he known. But he said it. My point is, in these last days, God has some things to say and we need to pray that the leaders, national leaders, will have the courage to speak by the Spirit and fear no man. Fear no man. Amen. You you shake your head. You Oh yeah, well, you know, you're just glad you're not one of them. (laughs) That's what that is. Amen. Well, praise the Lord. These are just some things that are on my heart. Glory to God. Ha, ha, ha. Hallelujah. The church is coming into an hour of greatness. The church is coming into a time of the fulfillment of prophecy. But the church must first come into a time of repentance and humility and seeking me, says the Lord. The church must arise as a man, as a person would. Arise and fall on their face and begin to pray and make supplication and intercession and pray for this nation and pray for the church and pray for the condition in which the world is today. The church must act with the Spirit and move with the Spirit in these last days. And as a result of the obedience of the church, a great day will dawn, a day of tremendous manifestation, a day of tremendous demonstration, a day of glory, the day that, uh, of glory that your hearts have longed for, but you need to know something has to go first. A price will be paid. It'll be the price of consecration and supplication and prayer, says the Spirit. Hallelujah. Well, glory to God. We, we believe that revival is, is in our midst, and it is. But prayer, 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 amen, consecration, being serious. This isn't the time to be on the sidelines. This isn't the time to fall out with your brothers and sisters and have hurt feelings and strife. I tell you what, the devil always tries the same thing to get a church sidetracked. Listen, don't fall prey to that. Do not fall prey to that. Soon as something comes up that seems to bug you, you need to stop and write there and say, no, 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 you don't. I'm not falling for that. Amen. Amen. Glory to God. Let's stand up. Hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Lord. Glory, glory, glory. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Oh, we worship you, Lord. We acknowledge your goodness and your mercy. Hallelujah, 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 hallelujah. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Father. Glory, 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 glory to God, glory to God. Father, we do pray. We do take our place tonight in prayer. Glory to God. We pray for our nation. Father, we, we, we repent on behalf of our nation. We know, Father, that collectively as a people, Americans have turned their back on you. 
started many, many, many years ago. There have always been ungodly people in our nation at every time in its history, even during the times of the greatest revivals and, and uh, awakenings, there have been the, uh, the ungodly and the scoffers. But Lord, back in the 1960s, this really took a, a, a lurch forward and we allowed people to take prayer out of school and gradually over time, Father, our nation has so turned its back upon you. We've murdered millions and millions of babies in our country. We've allowed it as a people. Father, sin and, and wickedness abounds in our nation at a level today that's, that's been unprecedented in, in, in our history. People turn, have turned their backs on you. Today, if a person in sports, for instance, Father just mentions Jesus or Christ, the, the, the commentators will want to cut and, and cut to another subject and change the subject. They're so embarrassed about it. If a, if a, if a business just makes a, a, a claim, a person who owns a business just says something about, uh, about the sanctity of marriage, the ungodly will swarm them and try to run them out of business. Government has backed it up. Father, we're living in such a time where homosexuality and bloodshed and rebellion and, and wickedness and crime of every kind, Father, is sweeping across our land. We're faced with terrorism today. And a lot of it is because we've lost our witness as a nation, Father. Now, now those of us in, in this room, we don't endorse any of those things. But Father, that is the, that is the nation that we live in today where the, the name of Christ is blasphemed. The mission of the church is ridiculed. In popular culture, if you even say you're a Christian, you're attacked. Father, this is, this is an awful condition our country is in. And it's because as a nation, we've allowed the culture to shape us this way. So many people have just gone along. They've just been willing to, to accept and go along with the flow. And they've yielded to such a place that the devil controls so much of our national life. Father, we repent. Forgive us. Forgive this nation. Forgive our land, Father. The people of our land. Forgive us, Father, in the church for those who have compromised and, and refused to stand up and speak the truth. Because of wanting to, to uh, 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 agree with the spirit of this age and not say anything that would disrupt anybody or cause anybody to, 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 uh, uh, to have their feelings hurt. Father, we're, the church is guilty. Sinners in this land are guilty. Father, forgive us. Send repentance to our nation, Father. We ask you, Lord. We ask you, Lord, for, for you to forgive this nation and forgive people, sinners and Christians alike who are guilty, Father, who've transgressed, who've, who've, who've disobeyed and turned their backs on you. Father, we bring them before you tonight. We ask you, Lord, for, for forgiveness, for you to work in their lives again. Begin to reach out to these people. Begin to, to reveal yourself. Make your presence and, your, and the reality of Christ known to people again all over their, this nation. We're praying, Father, for a mighty outpouring of salvation, Father. 
We ask, Lord, for a, a mighty move of God where people will turn to you, that you will draw them by your spirit once again. Oh, Father, that the revival that's in the church will be a revival that spills out into the world. That, Father, people will be smitten and cut to, the, to their heart just like they were in the book of Acts of the, of the apostles. And they'll say, men and brethren, what must we do to be saved? Oh, Father, we ask for it, Lord. We ask for it. We ask for a mighty move of your spirit. We ask you to forgive and restore church leaders who have compromised and led their congregations away from your precepts. They've brought all kinds of things into the world to try to entertain the world and entertain the church. Father, forgive them and restore them. Begin to speak into their lives again. Begin to draw them. Begin to move on their hearts again. Oh, glory to God. Father, many of these people, I believe, can be, can be salvaged. They can come back. They need not go on in their wicked ways and their wrong ways, Father. Bring them back. Move on their hearts in such a way, Lord. Make, make their, prepare them to receive. Prepare their hearts to believe, Father. The unsaved, you said when, when, when uh, Paul and his company met with the women there outside of Philippi, it says that you, had hurt, that you had touched their hearts and prepared their hearts to believe and receive the things that were spoken by Paul. You can do that today. We ask you to do that, Father, Father, all across our land in Jesus' name. Father, we ask you, for Lord, for our leaders in these last days, Lord, that there will be revelation will be given understanding concerning these times in which we live, concerning the ministry, concerning revival, concerning the way forward. And Father, that men and women will speak by the Spirit and not hold back in fear, not care about what people say or what, what people threaten or what might, what might happen, but they'll boldly and courageously declare the word of the Lord. Father, we ask you for it. Glory to God. For our leaders, Lord, we ask you, Lord, great grace be upon them, that your hand would be upon them in a strong and powerful way. Glory to God. Father, we thank you for it. Hallelujah. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.